I almost never use an alarm clock. Most days, my kids rise first. Usually, they are pretty gentle in letting me know that it's time to get up. But from time to time, I am more stubborn. And they, on these mornings, they, they sometimes have to resort to more drastic measures. Usually, this looks like yanking back the blackout curtains in one fell swoop. My reaction, then, is swift and decisive and all but involuntary. I, I dive under the covers, pulling the pillow over my head for added protection. That first burst of morning light is it's so bright, it's almost painful. My response is visceral, physical, immediate. I think at first hearing, our default response to Jesus calling for all to be uncovered and brought out into the light can feel like having those curtains first flung back. What he describes is frightening, uncomfortable, vulnerable. I'm not sure what I'll find when that bright light floods in. It feels like an affront. I reach for cover. Jesus is asking us to engage a new way of doing life and relationships and community. It's a way that may not fit our first biological impulses for, for protecting our own interests and our immediate kin. He's calling us to something greater. This collection of sayings that we received this morning is the wisdom that Jesus is dispensing to the newly commissioned disciples. He's told them that the harvest is ready, waiting for their devoted labor. He's instructed them. He's, he's given them authority to do his work in the world, to cure the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, to teach, to proclaim good news, to offer peace, to seek out the lost. That is their call to action. And this passage, then, gives them a deeper sense of what that life may entail. The take-home message at times, it's going to be really hard. He talks of the divisions that will come when we really follow him. It is, for me, arresting and confusing. But I don't believe that this division is ultimately what he wants or designs given how much he works for reconciliation among all people. Instead, I think it's what he understands will sometimes happen 
if we live a life modeled on the way of the cross. Jesus is speaking of divisions descriptively, not prescriptively. They are not the goal, but a natural consequence that we are to keep engaging with love. And the divisions that Jesus describes aren't just among different people. As much as he leads us to wrestle with our own choices to pursue personal practices of forgiveness and healing and generosity and humility, I think Jesus is also warning us that if we really follow, we will encounter this division, these foes within ourselves. He takes it a step further at the end. He warns that we will have to lose parts of ourselves, even our life as we've known it, to really find life with God. Maybe that's what can make that bright light seem so intense. This light of Christ reveals not just general truth about the world, it also uncovers intimate truth about our lives. But don't be afraid, Jesus says, again and again. This is part of the work, the discerning and carving, the learning and sculpting, the praying and pruning. If we can welcome that light, we can begin separating within ourselves that which is righteous from that which distorts life in us and in others. Standing in the light, seeing the parts that lead us astray, seeing those for what they are, we can begin letting them go, that we may be made There are countless ways to engage this work. Maybe it's letting this light shine on an addiction, or on a toxic pattern at work, or an old wound, or on a deep longing you've let reside on the back burner for too long. One form of this work I see so many people digging into right now is looking at how systemic racism has shaped our lives in ways we never would have chosen. I hear people engaging these conversations with new awareness and care, not because we're to blame for our forebears' sins, but because we have the opportunity to shape our world differently now. It is inherently vulnerable to welcome this bright light. And there is more life, more holy possibility when we do. This week I've been taking a good, hard look at how I've gotten to where I am today. It can be easy, tempting even, for me to believe that I am here by my own hard work. 
I've been taught that all my life. And, and frankly, buying into that story feels good. And while it may be partially true, there are far more reasons why I am here if I'm willing to let that light in on the more complicated and complicit parts of my life. This week, I spoke with my mother's cousin about all this, and I learned from him that my grandfather received benefits through the GI Bill following his service in World War II. I'd never known that. Honestly, I'd, I'd never thought to ask until now. On the surface, it, it seems like a perfectly fine thing. I'm glad that veterans received support in restarting their lives when they came home. The problem, which I, I also learned much more about this week, was that my white grandfather received benefits that few black veterans could actually access. My grandfather went to school on the bill. Later it helped again when he and my grandmother bought their first home in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Black veterans, on the other hand, had a, a tremendously difficult time accessing these same benefits. Discriminatory housing policies in communities all across the country, including right here in Pleasant Hill, made it impossible for blacks to buy homes. And banks and mortgage companies almost always refused to give them loans. Segregation kept most colleges off limits for these black veterans, and historically, black colleges and universities were quickly overwhelmed such that very few veterans could make use of the education benefits either. But this was all before I was born, right? I can't change that it happened. I didn't choose it. I do lament it. And, and I am here today in no small part because my grandfather received these benefits. Black veterans didn't. My grandfather was able to build a stable life for his family, a, a life which was grown and passed on to me. And so I sit with this reality and reckon with it. This bright light of truth it, it divides some of what is within me. It uncovers and, and cuts away at the lie that I have earned this comfortable life, that I somehow deserve it more than others. I have to cut that loose, give it up. This light carves more space for compassion and respect within me letting that grow for those who have not received a leg up again and again. I know that this is only one tiny
tiny piece of the story that I have a long way to go, not just in learning, but in taking action and in charting a different course as I try to follow. But even just setting this bit of the story straight in my heart and in my narrative seems like a step in the direction of freedom and of being more fully alive with all my human kin. Sometimes we choose the light and welcome it. And friends, sometimes the light finds us, maybe before we're ready, maybe while we're still wondering if it might be too much for us. It can be tempting to try to fend it off, to, to protect ourselves from its searching impact. This time in our common life may call forth some combination of all these responses. We can trust that truth is good, and still we may be scared to reckon with it or sorrowful in acknowledging just how deep the pain runs. And even in times like these, Jesus calls us to invite the light in, to let the truth be uncovered, revealed within us and among us, and to follow him through all that waits beyond. There will be divisions, yes, maybe especially in ourselves as we grapple with the truth as it comes. Here is the good news. Jesus promises that in following him, we will, we will have to lose parts of ourselves, lose even our life as we've known it. And this will be how we come to find the fullness of life in God. Can we begin to truly welcome this light? <laughs>